and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Cassie. Hi, everyone. And Cassie is, uh, has her own company called Tidy Tack Rooms. Now, I came across Cassie a few years ago um, at some shows when she was doing some things. I think we were in the same... Um, little business group together so I'd heard of you and seen you and stuff and um when I first saw Cassie she had some great sort of storage items and things but I thought oh I don't really need those you know that that was the thought about it and then over the years as I have learned a lot more about decluttering the house and decluttering the mind and the effect that stuff has on your psychology and all these things I realized that actually it isn't just your house and your home it's your yard and your tap room as well and have very much embraced recently the tidy tack room way of doing things and everything is now beautifully and Cassie has helped uh, so so much with providing gorgeous storage solutions for my thing so I thought you know what knowing how much better I feel after having done that myself and I've done it with the whole house as well thanks to a friend of mine who's an interiors therapist as well it really does make a difference so Cassie just tell us a little bit about why you set up tidy tap rooms and what what it's all about for you so the way the whole business came about um i got into the matchy matchy game quite late in life <clears throat> i was into showing so i had you know one number and didn't need the rest and i came into dressage quite late in life and was introduced and i still remember my first matchy set was the benetton blue lemurst one and i bought that at olympia and then i very quickly followed it up with the first escadron platinum range and then I kept going from there, I kept buying these sets, so I was loving them. And um, I was in a shared tack room on the livery yard and I had racking, just shelving. And I had all the numbers stacked up on top of each other and we all did and we all had, some people had boxes and there was numbers everywhere. And I remember one day I wanted to use one and it was at the bottom of the pile. So I was stood on a step and I balanced the rest of the saddlecloths on my head and I was trying to pull the bottom one out. And then I got it and then I couldn't find the bandages and I'm going through the boxes and I'm looking and uh, it got so late. I got to the point where I was like, I haven't got time to ride now. I've literally spent that long looking. And I was like, I just remember standing in my tap room being like, there must be a better way. So I went home and I said to my dad, who's an engineer, um, look, I'm, I need a storage thing. Um, I don't really know. I've got a rough idea what I want. So we designed the clear Perspex boxes that we used to do. That was how the company started. We had a great big plastic Perspex box with shelves and then the underneath was drawers for the boots and bandages. And then we had a matching rug box. And then it sort of developed from there. Um, <clears throat> we started selling our own range of saddlecloths and they arrived in clear plastic bags. And I thought, oh, that's a really good idea. So I said to the supplier, can I just get the bags? And they were like, yeah, you can. So we bought in a load of plastic bags for the saddlecloths. Then we added plastic bags for boots, overreach boots, bandages. And then, so we had all the plastic range and then the whole um, David Attenborough plastic is really bad thing kicked off. And I said, right, I want to do something more sustainable. And also the plastic bags, they, they are great, but they are plastic and, you know, people put loads of stuff in and they rip and things like that. There's only so many times you can perforate plastic before it tears. So we then had 
the idea that I was like, right, what, what do I want the stuff to do? And for me, a huge thing with all of our storage products is they have to be machine washable. That's like a deal breaker for me because I know how difficult it is keeping everything clean. So we came up with the idea of basically having the same plastic bags, but in a different material. And we did that. We started selling them and they were just like an absolute hit. They were really popular. And then one day again, I was um, stood there with the rug bags and I was like, oh, I can't remember which rugs in what bag. So then I was like, I'll just write a label on in permanent marker. And then I was like, why don't we label the bags? So um, we bought a heat press and a cutting machine and all the software and we started labeling the bags. We just did a few and I took them to Your Horse Live and they sold out in the first couple of hours. And I was like, right, this is a thing now. And uh, I have had a few people say to me, you're, you're like the Mrs. Hinch of tack rooms with uh, <laughs> everything labelled. So it's just kind of grown from there, basically, um, with the labelling. And then because we've got all the equipment, we're able to personalise so we can add names on. And what a lot of people have, um, especially actually in America and Australia, we get a lot of people, they list all the individual rugs on the bag. So we pop all of that on as well. So they're uh, sort of even more organised. So it, it kind of just grew from there, really. And now it's just continuing to grow with, I get ideas, if we can do this, we can do that. We get customers messages and say, can you make me a bespoke bag? And we can do that for them. And yeah, it's just expanding from there, basically. Amazing. And so I love the fact that you, as with most entrepreneurs, spotted a need that you had realized there was a need that other people had it tested it tried it and then developed it and I love the fact that you also were able to change in relation to consumer demand or maybe it wasn't consumer demand actually at that point but around plastic you know the, the yeah. whole kind of ethical side of it and that's yeah. the beauty of being an entrepreneur isn't it that ability to be flexible and do what you like so tell us a little bit about what you love about having a business that's yours that you can do that with um, so for many, many years, I was a riding instructor and a groom and I worked for other people. And then I joined the army and I was in the army for nearly 10 years. Um, and then I came out of the army and I went back to doing the grooming and stuff. And people who work in the horse industry will know it's very poorly paid. And you all go, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle choice. And I do it because I love the horses. And that's fine, but what you're actually doing is you're going to work every day, you're working really hard and you're boosting someone else's reputation because then their yard gets a really good reputation and that's off the back of your hard work and it's never recognised, ever. No one ever comes down and goes, thank you for everything you've done so much, here's a Christmas bonus. Or, and, you know, some years you didn't even get a bottle of wine at Christmas and you think... I want to feel appreciated, like I'm going above and beyond what I need to do. And I thought, I'm getting a bit fed up of working really hard and other people benefiting off of that. And I was like, I think I, I want to work for myself. Um, at this point, I'd like not done anything like, you know, I'd literally just been a freelance groom. Um, but I'd always ended up doing like, I'd have like two or three yards that I would work at rather than loads of individual private clients. And they were always like livery yards, riding schools, things like that. Um, so, and I got to the point where I was like, I don't really want to have to have six jobs 
and work every single weekend and get up at five in the morning every morning and do all of that you know it, it is a bit much I've got two young children um so we um I had this idea that I wanted to work for myself and also I felt because in the past I've had a lot of bad bosses I'd learned a lot how not to do things so for me the absolute basis of our company is customer service and that is that's what I base everything around and it's always about how can I serve these people best what do they need from me and you know from that we've developed quite a few customers have actually become friends and they come and see us at the trade shows and you know people will send me photos of their tack room and they'll say please help me what do I do but I always knew I wanted it to be very customer service based um, and, and that's what I wanted um, people to have that experience of it being quite a personal um, experience. You know, we're here to help you. So, you know, if people email or wrote, ring up or message, it's me they're talking to. Um, I don't farm that out to others. It's always me they come through to. Um, and um, yeah, I try and really listen to what they they need because sometimes people will be like I think I need this and I'll think no you don't <laughs> this is what you actually need um but yeah so I I knew I sort of wanted to work for myself because um I knew I wanted that freedom to be able to run things how I wanted whereas when you're working for other people you're constricted by what they want and sometimes you'd think I can do it so much better <laughs> so then I thought let's put my money where my mouth is and let's do it better so um that's what i did i invested all my life savings and uh i set the business up so that's amazing and and i love what you're saying there's a, a fabulous saying which i really really love which is make sure you follow your own dreams otherwise you'll spend your life working to help someone else get theirs basically yeah, yeah. and that's exactly what you were talking about there isn't it you know actually yeah. it's like if you've got a dream if you've got something you might not know exactly what it is to begin with but you'll find a way you yeah. worked it out yeah. and and if you look at anyone's business that I've spoken to in any of these Q&As or any entrepreneur at the point at which they actually they find the thing that's that's right and it really accelerates the business um yeah before that you'll you'll see it's moved and it's changed and it's it's gone a little bit this way now that's not quite right it's yeah. gone a bit that way it's not quite right yeah. so very rarely does someone hit on it straight away and go that's the right thing that it might yeah. seem that way but often a bit like with your business so people may or may not have heard of you until now when they go and look at your business now they go wow this is amazing look at this it's fantastic they won't have seen the years of you know selling perspex boxes that wasn't quite yeah. the right thing yeah um because they wouldn't have seen that part of your business and but that's what i love about watching new businesses change and grow and develop and and you know I've followed yours from the sideline for a little while and, and it really feels like now you you've hit that that right product that right yeah. set of things and I yeah. and again like you say about your customer service yeah um you know some people say it was only a rug bag but it's not is it it's more than that in your business and and the reason I wanted you to come on to the Q&A today is because actually you have really been marketing or well, not marketing but you know talking about the fact that this is about storage organization. It makes a difference to how you feel. It makes a difference to your time. It makes yep. a difference to your you know, your mindset, even your performance. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the things that you are always doing, because you're great on Instagram and you know the things that you offer on your website, like your downloads and your checklist. Yeah. And things. Tell us more about that area of the business, which isn't just a product, is it? Yeah. So 
I, for a long, long time, I wanted to do something to help people get organised because I really do understand that actually the reason a lot of people aren't organised isn't because they're lazy or anything like that. It's because they simply don't know how to be organised. And um, a lot of that, that stems from being in the army and, and, you know, seeing, you know, you get the young guys who joined up at 16 and they didn't know how the world worked. And it was a bit like, why is no one teaching them this? And then I'd speak to people and we'd be at the trade shows and people would walk past the stand and they'd go, huh, tidy tack room, as if they don't exist, do they? Or they'd chat to me and they'd go, I'm just not an organised person. I'm just, you know, it's not me. And I thought, I think a lot of people think being organised is a gift that's bestowed on some people and not others. And people are sort of like, oh, they're so organised. They've got all their, you know, shit together. Excuse my French. Um, you know, they're really well organised. Everything flows for them. And I think, yeah, but they don't, they weren't born like that. that it doesn't happen naturally. Like, they plan and they organise. And I thought, I think a lot of people don't actually know how to be organised and they actually need help with this. And it, it even stemmed from the fact we then started to do things like how to fold a rug video. And I just did that and put it up. And the amount of people that were like, do you know how long we've been trying to fold a neck rug for? That's so helpful. And I was just like, oh, okay, we, you know, we'll keep going. So for a long time, I've been thinking I'd like to do something where I can help people tidy their tack room. So again, people used to say, will you come to my house and tidy my tack room? And I was like, well, I can, but wouldn't it be better if you did it? Because I can come in and organise it, but you know how you want it set up, you know what you use most, you know, I would be doing it for me. Um, and again, if I come in and organise it and declutter, you're not going through that change process from here to here, which is organised. So I'm not helping you, I'm putting a band-aid over the symptom rather than treating the root problem, which is what you, you need to address. Um, so I kept thinking, I was like, right, I want to do something and I'm not really sure what. And then it was kind of as busy stuff was going. So it's just in the back of my mind all the time. And then the coronavirus hit and overnight, obviously the world shut down. And I was like, right, OK, um, how can I help people in this time? What can I do? I don't want to sell to people. It's not right now. You know, people have lost their jobs overnight. The economy's gone everyone is in a huge panic no one knows what's happening the last thing they want is you know people there going buy my stuff so I thought right let's do this tack room thing that I've always wanted to do how can I do it so I literally sat on my couch I was at home doing it so I had I didn't have a word document on my computer it was on my mobile phone so all of those handouts I designed on my mobile phone <laughs> It was, I was literally there with it, it's tiny, and I was like, oh. Wow, that just um, shows don't ever let anyone tell you that just because you haven't got the tool, you can't do it, because by hook or by crook, you'll find a way. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't get into the office to do it on my, my big desktop, so I was like, right, I'll just do it on the phone, it's fine. Um, and I was like, right, what can we do? And I thought, again, a lot of problem people struggle with, with being organised and decluttering, is how overwhelming it is. And I fully understand this um, because I said to you earlier, my dad is a hoarder. It's a good job he's not on social media because he'd probably kill me. But when you live with someone that's a hoarder, mess and clutter is like your nemesis. You just want your own space. You just want, 
And for me, I like everything clear. You know, I don't have ornaments out. I don't have things like that. Like I like white walls. I like everything light, airy, bright and spacious. Um, so I do understand when you walk into somewhere and I've done it when um, we first started business, I shared a factory with my dad um, and he was like, yeah, you can have these rooms, but I had to clear them out. And when I walked in, I was like, oh my God, there's 30 years of machinery and stuff in here. Like what? And you do feel like, where do I even begin? So I didn't want to be saying to people, right, get a whole day. And I know what it's like. You go in your tack and you drag everything out. You put it in a big mess. And then you look around and you think, oh, my God. So you start sorting it. And then you get to the point where you think, I've run out of time. I can't be bothered. It's too much. And you just lob it all back in and it never gets done. So I thought, I don't I think also that with that as well is that when you're tidying, it always gets worse before it gets better, doesn't it? Because yes. everything's suddenly out. Yes. And, yeah. and I've done this so many times. I've just stood there, whether it be my tack room or my house or whatever, and thought, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> you do, and you want to cry. You just want to cry. And you think, I can't go on. I can't I can't finish it. Oh, my God. And then anyone you see, you're like, do you want this stuff? Have this stuff. Take it. I'll get, you can have it for free. Take my saddle. I'll ride bareback forever. It's fine, as long as I don't have to put it away. And I just thought, we've all been there. We've all done it. Um we want to avoid that. And the other thing is as well, what I wanted people to do was not just tidy their tack room, but then be able to keep it tidy. Because again, there's no point tidying it all if you're then going to go back to how it was. And that's what tends to happen. And then every few months, it's like, oh, another big tight, you know, clear out. So I came up with the idea, right, if we just do 10 minutes a day, you can actually get a lot done in 10 minutes when you focus. So it's really amazing how much you can do in 10 minutes. If you are literally right, put the phone down, get off social media and just blast 10 minutes. You will be amazed at what you can do. So we set it like as um, 10 minutes, sort of almost a challenge each day to do this, to do this, to do this. And then I thought the way it will work is you'll do your 10 minutes. And if you don't finish the task that day, you just continue it the next day and the next day until that section is done. And again, the reason behind that was, number one, every person has 10 minutes. You've always got 10 minutes in the day. Even when people go, I haven't got time, you've got 10 minutes. Um, number two, it's not an overwhelming amount of time. You can just be like, oh, a 10-minute timer. If you hate doing so, 10 minutes, that's it. And number three, because it was only 10 minutes, you'd get stuff done. It'd be enough time to see a difference. But if you hadn't finished, you'd want more. And that's why, again, I was very clear to people, you stop after 10 minutes, regardless of if you're finished or not, you stop, because then in your mind, you're thinking, I want to get that done. So the next day, you're going to come back and you're going to do a bit more. And it's just going to start that process. And then as you get to the point where you can start to see a real difference, that's going to really motivate you to keep it going. And again, by doing it every day, and the plan was it would be at least three weeks, maybe longer if you have more stuff. Um, it takes a minimum of three weeks, 21 days to form a habit. It's anywhere from 21 days to three months. Um, for me, I personally am more towards the three months. <laughs> so I have to repeatedly do something for three months before it becomes ingrained into my soul. Other people, it's three weeks, but it's always a minimum of three weeks to start that new habit. So I knew I wanted it to be at least 21 days so that by the end of it, people were in this habit of spending 10 minutes a day in their tack room. 
So we did that. And then once you finish the, the tidy challenge, we then have the maintenance challenge, which again is just 10 minutes a day. And it's only five days a week, the maintenance challenge. You get two days a week where you don't have to do anything, which again, I wanted because I thought if you've got, you know, you work long days or you're going out competing at the weekends, you want a couple of days where you haven't got to do it. And again, you don't want to miss a couple of days and then be like, oh, screwed it up now. There's no point. So it's just to make it a bit easier. And it, it's like the maintenance challenge is that it's keeping on top of the dusting, the sweeping. It includes things like the tack cleaning, washing your riding hat, doing your back protector, all that sort of stuff, which were the little jobs we say we're going to do and we never do. And um, what we then did, I then took it a step further. Um, and to help people get really organised, I created all the downloads as well. So. On the website, there's the whole 21 day system and it tells you why we've done it that way, how it works, things like that. Then there's a checklist for each day. And then we've done all the inventory sheets. You can literally print off everything. Because again, what a lot of people tend to do is they don't actually know what stuff they've got. So when they need something, they think they've got it, but they're not sure. They don't know if they've lent it to their friend or the horse trashed it last winter. So uh, <laughs> they just go and buy more. And then they're like, I've just bought, I'll just buy more. And then, like, <laughs> start, and then so they find. You can't see this. Cassie's off. laughing because I go, that's me. That's me. <laughs> that, not now, but that was me because I would lend something to someone or I'd buy something or I'd buy it because it was on offer and I'd put it away and then I'd forget and I bought it. When I came to Move Yards, it wasn't that bad. Actually, it wasn't that bad because I'd had a big clear yeah. out in January. But yeah, that that's me. I've got three yeah. of something and I didn't realise. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, we, we do all do it. But again, I thought, let's avoid that. So we, we did the inventory sheets. So there's ones for saddlecloths. Because again, a lot of people end up buying the same matchy set twice. They don't realise they've got it and they go and buy it again. And I've seen them do it. And then they go, oh, I forgot I had that. And I was like, right, well, let's help people out. So they can have these sheets. They can know exactly what they've got. And the other reason behind the inventory um, was um, I was seeing a lot on Facebook and out of yards getting broken into and people being cleared out. And I thought, if that happened to me, would I be able to say to my insurance company, here's a list of what I had in there? And I thought, actually, no, I probably wouldn't because... I could say there, this is my saddle, this is my bridle. But although they're very expensive individual items, if you add up how much you've spent on all the other kit, hats, boots, bandages, saddle cloths, rugs, travel boots, head collars, all of it, that's literally thousands and thousands of pounds, which again, because we buy it bit here, bit there, bit here, you know, 10 of there, 100 pound there, whatever, we maybe don't realise how much value is in our tack room. And if you go in, so I went into my tack room and I did it up and I was like, there's probably not shy of 20 grand's worth of kit in here, which then led me down the rabbit hole of where did I get that money from to buy it? <laughs> we don't ask those kind of questions. But I suppose the other thing with that is as well then, is that not only if you've done an inventory, not only do you know what you've got, probably where it is as well, which is quite handy, the fact you've got four of them, so you then don't need to buy another how much it's worth so from yeah. an insurance perspective you if you get because I mean our yard once was wiped out I was really lucky I happened to have my tack in a different tack room yeah. I was so yeah. lucky but they literally took everything 
And, you know, and even thinking about things like if you've got your made to measure boots and things in your tat room, you know, that could be 700 pounds worth just there. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and, and, and it's, it's not just the replacing, it's the time. Because if you've got bespoke kit and all of that and the insurance doesn't necessarily come through quickly, but also you then need to look at how much insurance you actually need, don't you? Because yeah. it's all very well us insuring our tack. But yeah. if we've got, say, three and a half grand's worth of tack insurance or five grand or whatever, that might cover our saddles, bridle, might just about. But it yeah. certainly won't cover all the, the rugs that we might need replacing. Because sometimes, like you say, they literally clear you out, don't they? It depends yeah. how they've done it, where yeah. you are and, and what's going on. Yeah. So at least then I suppose you've got an idea of to go to your insurance company and go, actually, you might not want to insure 20 grand's worth of stuff, maybe. But at yeah. least you've got an idea then of yeah. how much cover you might actually want. Yeah. And again, then you could look at it and you can then say, well, do you know what, actually... I don't use all of this kit all of the time. So I can take that lot and keep it at home so that my insurance is going to cover me. Um, and again, it was things like I thought, okay, so say I did get cleared out. Do I know the serial number of my saddle? Now, yeah, I've still got the receipt for that and it's stored with my paperwork. But do I want the stress and the hassle of going through the paperwork, possibly not being able to find it, the insurance company saying, well, without the receipt, we're only going to give you X amount, you know, and you know your saddles cost, and some of the saddles are, they're five, 10,000 pounds. And the insurance company says, well, we'll give you a grand. You know, you, you, and I just thought, it's, it's one of those situations where it's all fine until it goes wrong. And then when it goes wrong, it's catastrophically wrong. And it's the added stress on top of, the fact that you're dealing with because I've I've been robbed my trade stand's been robbed twice and it's awful so the first time I was sleeping in my tent out the back of the trade stand and I watched the CCTV and there were two guys with knives and one stood over the tent I was sleeping in while the other slashed the marquees and they did a little slash in every marquee to check if they were alarmed and you could see them like flapping the sides and putting their arms through to see if there were any motion sensors and when they weren't, they did a huge flap and they went in and they took um, all of our riding hats. So myself and Flying Changes coaches, they were done as well. They cleared us out 30 riding hats they took. So the next And morning, they weren't, they were sort of three, four hundred at least pound hats, those hats, weren't they? Because you had all the really Yeah, they were the chaff ones. Yeah. yeah. So overnight we lost, I think it was just over four thousand pounds of stock, which my insurance company wouldn't cover because they had a clause in that the showground had to have security and it had to be locked. And on that particular night, the front gate was broken, so it was left wide open, and they drove in past two unmanned security checkpoints that should have been manned. So for a small business... Did you not counterclaim against the show then, or did you not bother for that? Well, we, we sort of could have done, and a few people like taken to small claims court and stuff like that. And th this is the other thing we mindset as well because we were such a new business I didn't have the confidence to do that because I was then worried we'd be blacklisted against other shows we'd get a reputation as troublemakers and you know everyone was a bit like oh you don't want to rock the boat so I was a bit like oh well we'll just leave it you know maybe the the hats will turn up or whatever so we we just had to absorb that loss so me and my dad had to cover that loss we had to put our own money in to cover that loss. And again, people always go, oh, theft's a victimless crime. It's not. Um, so, and it's also the fact that someone's been through your stuff. Like you always sort of think like, oh, well, they've stolen it, but no one was hurt. But actually you feel quite like violated and it's horrible. 
and you get a bit like oh and then again we at nationals um someone took a hat off the trade stand there's and quite a lot of the shows have these professional thieves and they'll rob it right from under they're so good you don't even know they're doing it and it was only at the end of the show when we were packing up that we realized this hat was missing and that's when i said no more hats we don't do the hats anymore because um they're too much of a loss and because we had the first lot nick the insurance were then like right we won't cover them anymore so we were like we we can't do it anymore it's too we can't absorb those losses you know four thousand pound loss in your second year of business that is a lot <laughs> um and and again then you feel a bit like am i cursed <laughs> should i not be doing this um so um again, how did you pick where... yourself up then and, and carry on from that because that's that is that that you know that's quite a an obstacle to overcome so obviously you find the money however you find it but how did you because some people would have said do you know what it's not worth having a jacket in at this point in time what was it about you that meant that you didn't do that especially the second time something was nicked like the first time maybe but the second time you know what is it that you do to keep you going in when you get those challenges um don't really <laughs> so on the first one when we had all of the hats nicked um i was my trade stand was next door to philomena london and um melissa and eve this is how we became friends because i'd only known them about three days at that point and they arrived and they gave me a massive hug and they were like and i was just crying and i'd had to ring my dad and be like we've lost the hats the insurance isn't covering it i don't know what we're gonna do and my dad was like do not worry don't worry about the money don't worry about it as long as you're fine and my mum was all worried because she knew that had I woken up that night, I'd have confronted those guys with a knife. Um, and it was funny because every other night that week, I had actually woken up at about two in the morning to go to the toilet. And that was the first time I'd slept through the night. So it was quite lucky because I would have been straight away. What are you doing in my tent? Get out, you know. So that, that was quite lucky. But the lovely Melissa and Eve from Philomene London, they were so kind and we were over at Hickstead and Hickstead has two sides. There's the main one and then there's the dressage one. And we were at the dressage where we got robbed. But Philomena London, they had a stand um, on the main side of Hickstead. So they said, so I was like, I can't stay at this showground. Like, it's not safe. So they said, look, why don't you bring your stock to our Hickstead stand and see if you can sell from there and recover some of your losses? And I, I did that and I did the last few days with them and they just restored my faith in humanity. <laughs> so sort of in the space of a couple of days, I'd seen the worst side of people and the like nicest side. And honestly, they were so lovely. And we've been friends for quite a few years now. And, you know, we always get our stands next to each other at shows. We go to each other's houses. We go um, away together. You know, we have just become really good friends and they are just the nicest people ever. But it was so lovely because it was really just what I needed. They were really like, come on, we'll look after you and let's come over here. And, you know, we were on their beautiful stand and, you know, we were drinking hot chocolate and they were just so nice. And I was just like, that was what I needed. Um, and then we, we sort of then said, right, so we built glass cases to put the rest of the hats in um, and they were locked and things like that. So it was a learning curve that we did realize how badly, you know, you can get done. Um, but then when we got done the second time at nationals, that was all um, a bit of a, so what I had going on in the background, I just set up the business and shortly after setting up the business, I started to go through a divorce. Then 
So that was the end of 2016. Then in January 2017, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. So in my first year of business, I've sort of got this horrendous divorce going on. Dad's got cancer. We're at the hospital every day. They're talking about all these massive surgeries. And it was just horrendous. And we were having to talk to the team and be like, how long, you know, and they were saying, if the surgery goes wrong, this is how long we'll leave him on life support. And you just sat there thinking like, oh my God, this is horrendous. So I had all that going on whilst I was trying to get business off the ground as well. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. Then, so we had that for the whole year. Then dad got the all clear from cancer. So that was perfect. So we were like, this is good, now time. Then a few months later, my uncle got diagnosed with cancer. So we were like, oh my God. So just after I'd had the hat stolen at nationals, we got a phone call to say my uncle had taken a turn for the worse. So then I'd had all this theft um, and it was just awful. I remember just realizing this hat had gone missing, sitting on the ground in my trade stand, crying my eyes out. And again, the lovely Melissa from Philomena London, <laughs> she came and she picked me up and she hugged me and she was like, come on now let's just load up the van and go home and I just remember we were throwing stuff onto this van and we we're like let's just go throw it on the van let's just go we don't care anymore and you know she was really lovely um and I went home and then sadly my uncle didn't make it so I then spent the next few um, months um sitting by his bed um and then it was a bit like okay it's done now I need to sort of focus on the business um, so we, we were sort of starting to do that. And as I say, we were starting to hit our stride and then Corona. <laughs> so, um, again, that's then when I, I flipped it and said, you know, how can I help people more, um, and, and give back to people? Cause I do have this instinct where I do want to help people all the time. And I have to be a bit careful because I can end up adopting people and I put all of my time and energy into them to the detriment of myself. And, this again is what I've really noticed. So I started working with a um, mindset coach and that's made such a huge difference to me and my business. Um, you know, I was struggling with depression and, and everything um, and, and it was really horrendous and I didn't know what to do. Um, and, you know, I had many moments where I was like, I'm just going to quit the business. I'm just going to go and work for someone else because I'll get a salary and it's easier and it's safe. And then in the back of my head, I always had this voice being like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. We're not going to do that. Um, so, yeah, as I say, when Corona hit, um, I then had um, the time to do the stuff that I wanted because prior to that, it had always been like, sorry, it's quite busy. Um, there you go. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. So it's um, interesting I how you were saying that you got the support that you needed, because one of the themes that's been coming through here before we get back onto the Corona bit is um, the people around you, the support around you, you know, like when you're a one man band and we've I've talked about this loads of people, you're you feel like an island sometimes you feel like you're the only one there. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I think the amazing thing about Corona, I think what it's made us realise is we can be together even if it's virtual. So that yeah. has just got rid of those geographical boundaries. I mean, the amount of people I have spoken to. I mean, for instance, this morning I did my yoga class with a lady up in Bedford who I'd never been able to do yoga with before if Corona hadn't hit because she never did them virtually. You know, no. all these little things. And I and yeah. really just being able to connect with people without those boundaries. But having yeah. that mindset coach for you, um, helped you helped you with what specifically what changed in your mindset that you wouldn't have got without that coaching 
So prior to signing up with the coach, I was really struggling with depression. And I'd gone to the doctors and they gave me the um, counselling with the phone calls where someone rings you up every week. And she was helpful, but the onus is very much on you to do the work, which is really hard when you're depressed. (laughs) And it's really hard with depression because so many people... And there's so much stigma around it. And people are like, you're being dramatic. You're so much hard work. Stop upsetting your mother. And, you know, and and people, oh, it's your hormones. It's the time of the month. Oh, you're lazy. People, until you've had depression, it's so hard to get people to understand it. And I used to really struggle with it. And it, it was so difficult because you want to be away from people but you want to be with them but you don't know how to be with them and it's so difficult and people don't understand it so they try and say things that they think will help you but what people don't understand is with and mine was depression was triggered by anxiety so anything that made me anxious kicked off the depression so when I had all of this with the divorce my dad having cancer my uncle having cancer um the business the slightest thing would trigger me, the smallest thing. And, you know, if, for example, I rang my friend and they didn't answer and then they didn't ring back for a day, my mind, that's it, the friendship's over, they hate me, I'm a terrible person, I've obviously really upset them and it's awful. And that's what was going on in my head all the time. And I used to say to people, like, I can't tell people what's going on in my head because they'll think I'm crazy and I really don't want to be taken away Um, and put in an asylum but that kind of made it worse because then I was constantly trying to pretend to be okay and it just got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore like I was heading for a nervous breakdown and I was getting to the point where I was just like I don't know what to do and that's when I was like right I need to reach out and I said to my friends like you know sometimes we'll be in a group situation and we'll all be talking and we'll have a lovely night out and then the next day I'll wake up and think I said that comment oh my god what if she took it this way what if she did that oh and then I'd have to ring the other people in the group and say it sounds and everyone's like mate what what are you talking about and I was like this is what is my head 24 7 and it's not nice it's awful and so I I went to the doctor and I said like I need a bit of help and they gave me this counseling which it, it was helpful but it wasn't quite enough. And then I got to the point where I was like, right, I'm going to have to be honest and tell people. So I told people and actually what then happened was everyone got really angry with me. (laughs) They were like, why didn't you tell us? We could have helped you. And I was a bit like, it's not about you. (laughs) And, you know, I'd say to them, it's like, it wasn't because I, I felt weak telling people. It was never because I felt weak. What it was, was because I felt so awful about myself and I was doing so much for everyone else, I didn't want to put someone else in the position I was in by asking them for help. So it was never about, oh, asking for help is weaker. I literally was like, if I ask them for help, I'm going to put them in the position I'm in, which is the position I'm trying to get out of and it's awful and I don't want to be like this. And everyone was really like, we can help you, we can help you. And once I sort of said to people how bad it was, they were quite surprised that it, it was that bad. Because everyone was like, we had no idea. We, we never knew. We never knew at all. And I realised that a lot of it 
was created by me and my point blank refusal to ask for help from anyone. <laughs> I was a bit That's like... really common, actually, isn't it? Yeah. It's really common that yeah. when you're like that, you don't want to burden someone else. And actually, although they're saying we can help, often they can't. They think they can yeah. help because they think they yeah. can say to you, don't worry, we're there. And they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to try and rescue you, which yeah. isn't helpful because what they actually end up doing is enabling the behaviour. Or yeah. they're going to try and say, well, just get over it. You'll be fine, which, again, isn't helpful because yeah. unless they are trained in this stuff, they don't know the tools and techniques to help you to actually no. help you. So yeah. this, it's a funny old thing, isn't it? If anyone's in this situation where they feel they want to reach out to help and they think of their friends and family. So they're keeping it and it's really common to keep it closed yeah. and not yeah. let anyone know about it. And they kind of put the happy face on. But then that's yeah. not how you feel. <laughs> um, because actually you don't want to burden someone. So then no. exactly like you say, when you do suddenly then say it, they're like, what, we had no idea. Well, you're not gonna, cause I've hidden it. And yeah. secondly, you yeah. can't actually help in the nicest possible way. You can't actually help. You can be there, you can support me. But either of the two things that friends and family are gonna do, unless they are trained, is not actually help. They're either yeah. gonna enable it more or make yeah. it feel worse. That, yeah. that's kind of two ways and, about it isn't it yeah and what then happens as well is um people then they'll start to do stuff and then they'll go oh we haven't upset you have we and you're like <laughs> no i'm that's the enabling exactly and then they'll go to me oh we're so worried about you and then i feel awful because i think oh my god I've made the, oh no, oh, I shouldn't have said anything. And it, it's kind of like that that cycle. And it got to the point where I was just like, I don't want to be in my own head anymore. And I was a bit like, I don't, I just didn't know where to turn. So I'd done, as I say, the exercises the doctor would give me and stuff like that. But I was like, there's got to be more. So then the doctor was like, we'll, we'll give you pills. And I didn't want to go on pills. So um, a few years ago, I can't remember how many years ago it was now, 2008, I broke my back and I had to learn, to, I had to have surgery, I had to learn to walk again, everything. Um, and I was on 50 painkillers a day and it was awful. And one day I just came off the painkillers and I was like, I'm not taking them anymore. I'm in such a zombie-like state. I don't enjoy life. I can't drive my car. I can't do anything. So, and I said, and I'm actually still in pain. They've not actually helped with the pain at all. So ever since then, I've been really bad about not taking painkillers. Like I just won't take them, which is probably a little bit too extreme because at times it's like, mate, just have a paracetamol. <laughs> but um, so I said to the doctor, like, I'm not having pills. I'm not going to take pills. So I then was like, there must be a better way. So I signed up for a business program on marketing with um, Tara Punter. And the first thing she does is mindset. That's the first thing she covers. And I was like, oh, okay. And um, she, she, so she started with the whole the morning routine and your mindset. And it was just amazing because suddenly I was like, I'm not mad anymore. I'm not mad. And it was almost like, this is what you need to do, which no one had ever said to me before. No one had ever said, these are the things you need to do. And you've got to change your mindset. I was just of the impression, I've got depression, that's it for life. Times I'll be fine, times it'll be awful. And when it's good, I've just got to do as much as I can. And when it's awful, everyone's just got to accept it. And I've just got to get through that awful time and it'll be fine. And all of a sudden it was like, actually, no, you don't. You, you can do something about this. And 
it was really, and then I sort of got quite into it and I, I started to look into it and I read books like The Chimp Paradox and, and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, and then I read, uh, watched the film The Secret and then it sort of went from there. So I started to do the morning routine and what really shocked me, and I now work with, I, I do still work with Tara, but I work with another um, coach as well for business side of things as well. And one of the things they make you look at, because a lot of it around business and everything is your mindset. It's not actually to do with, this is how you advertise your product and things like that, which was really quite eye-opening for me, but um, was how much I had put myself to the bottom of the pile and how badly I was looking after myself. And when you do that to yourself, you literally are making yourself worthless. And then that spills over into every aspect of your life because you then, you've got no boundaries in place for yourself. So you allow other people to disrespect them. And that comes into business. You know, you'll get customers and you'll be like, oh, have it for free, have a refund. Yeah, this is, and people will say things like, uh, your product is too expensive. And then you'll be like, oh my God. And it, it's so like how much it covers all the rest of your life that it was quite surprising. And I didn't realize how badly I was treating myself. Um, so that was a real eye opener. So, but the hardest thing is to then start treating yourself nicely because <laughs> you've almost convinced yourself you're not worth it. And, and I think so there's so, there are loads of great parallels here between the mindset of a business person and clutter and organization because it's exactly bringing us back to what we talked about earlier, isn't it? When you walk into a room that's just overwhelming, yeah. you don't know where to start. So you just, you just, you ignore it, you lock it away, you yeah. ignore it. And yeah. it's like this, when things inside of you are overwhelming and you're doing exactly what you said, which is putting, I, I call it the difference between being um, uh, pro, uh, sorry, um, aggressive is saying that I'm more important than you. When yeah. you're, when you're um, being, um, I can't think of the word, this is awful. When, when you're saying everyone else is more important than me, there's a word yeah. for it and it's completely gone. That's awful because I know it. Um, <laughs> when, you're, when you're in the middle, which is you're important and I'm important on equal yeah. levels, then that's what yeah. we call assertive. And, and yeah. when, when you are um, um, passive, that's the word. So you've got aggressive, you've got passive and then you've got yeah. the when you're being passive, you're victim mode. Everything's happening yes. on to you. Yeah. You haven't yeah. got any control over it. Now, yeah. let's take that into your, your room, your tack room, whatever it is that's going on. You're a victim of the mess, aren't you? You're yes. a victim of the disorganization. Yeah. You're a victim of everything going on around you. You're a victim of the fact that that thing doesn't fit and you have to kind of shove it in there and it will fall off and break. Or yeah. and, and it's exactly the same, isn't it? When you start taking some small steps and yep. doing some little things and having some practical tools, techniques yep. and things you can do, you yeah. start getting a bit of control back. And yes. when you get a bit of control back, you come from passive towards assertive, don't you? Yeah. And, you know, we, we've all been there. We, you know, you arrive at the yard, you're running a bit late, you go in the tack room, there's stuff everywhere. You're going to tack up your horse, you can't find your kit, you're grabbing it, you've, you know, and then you've got, I'll do everything in one trip. And you've got all of it and then you're leaving this trail of stuff behind and you get to the horse and the horse is like, hello, mum. And you're like, Ugh! and the horse is like, oh, OK, uh, not a good day today then. And um, so they're instantly a bit like, oh, not what I was expecting. So they're like that. And then you're like, oh, they're going to be in that mood today. And, you know, you're throwing stuff over. And, you, and before you've even got to your horse, 
you're in this like mindset and then we want to get on the horse and work with them as a team and again when I was a riding instructor I would be like if you work at your desk and you're tapping away and you're doing everything and your boss walked in and was like oh my god I hate you you're awful you're so bad you stress me out so much why do you sit like that in the chair don't sit like that in the chair you'd be like holy Jesus, what the heck? Like, oh my, I'm doing my work. Why does it matter how I'm sitting or if I've taken my shoes off? And I said, you'd straight away be like, I don't like that person. I said, and then if the next day they came in and were like, you're the best employee. I love you so much. We're such a great team. Here's a cup of tea. You'd constantly be like on edge. And I was like, that's what we're taking to our horses. And then, you know, when you get there and you've had a really long, stressful day at work, like the point of having horses, that's our escapism. That's our relaxation. And, you know, I always say to people, it's too much time and too much money to not enjoy it. And the reason a lot of people don't enjoy it is because they've got too cluttered with everything. And when what people, again, don't realise is when you've got a lot of clutter, you are literally carrying that baggage around with you, literally. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it sounds crazy, but you are. But when... And people will do it. You'll go to someone else's tack room that's beautiful and they walk in and they go, oh, oh, I love it here. I could stay here all day. Isn't it? Look how organized. And I'd say to people, but you can have that. You can have that. You you can. Um, You've just got to do it. (laughs) And one of the reasons, like you say, that actually it's energetically draining to have chaos is yeah. because you have to keep in your head where everything is. Yeah. Because there's no other way of doing it. There is no, no other way of knowing no. where that stuff is unless it's in your head. Or your head, you really the reason Steve Jobs used to wear a black polo shirt and jeans every day is because that was one decision less. Because there's yeah. so many things that you have to do. So yeah. why why would you have to stand there to just sort your kit out before you go and do anything, thinking, where is that? Where is this? What's yeah. that? What have I done with this? Because you haven't got the place where you put it away, where it's even labelled, if yeah. you really want to go to that yeah. extreme, even better. But, you know, <laughs> so that takes brain space. Now, I always say you've got seven slots in the brain. You've got between five yeah. and nine, but let's say seven. If you filled most of those slots up with trying to remember where stuff is, what you've done with it, whether you put it away last time, if someone borrowed it, and this is where I love your inventory, which I'm now going to make sure I go and do the inventory. I was a little bit scared at first, but now I'm at the point where I need to do that Um, because I've now tied it all the way and it's beautiful, but now I need to sit there and work out what everything is. Because then actually um, you haven't got to use that slot in your brain. That's then available for riding information, packing up information, taking in what your horse is saying to you, what's going on. Which brings me on to um, how this actually helps with your performance if you're competing. So tell us a little bit about why being organised is really useful for competition and performance. So for me, I am a very nervous rider, having had the horrendous accident where I fell off the horse and broke my back. So um, competing triggers me massively. I love it, but I'm terrified of it. So for me, I need the show day to run as smoothly as humanly possible. Um, And I like to do that and help keep myself calm by having a very set routine that I follow. So for me, when you compete, there's a lot of elements that are completely outside of your control. And what I always find funny is we as horse riders, we all basically have control issues. 
we all want to control everything, yet we ride these technically wild animals that could kill us at any moment. And we spend our life trying to master the art of not controlling everything, while secretly that's what we need to do in order to cope, because on some level we want to control everything all the time. Um, so for me, I need to be able to control as much as possible. So I have a very set routine that I follow. So that involves every time I get to the yard, the first thing I do is I hitch up the trailer. I hitch it up, I pull it out, I reverse it, I open all the ramps and make sure it's ready to go. And um, I do that for two reasons. The first one is number one, I can straight away check everything's working. If it's not, I've got time for a panicked phone call to a friend to borrow their trailer. And number two, everything's ready so that if, I run late anywhere, I can just throw the horse on and go. I can still leave the yard on time. Even if the rest of the routine gets thrown out the window, I can just go, go, and we can go. I'm not then going, oh my God, I haven't got the trailer out. So I do that. Then I go round, I tie the horse up, I put shampoo on the horse, and I take the bed up. Um, I like to have all of my jobs done before I leave the yard. Um, again, I find, number one, when you get home, you're tired, and if you've had a really bad show you don't want to be mucking out um, and number two I find manual labor helps to relax me because I've got all this adrenaline and it's got to go somewhere it's not going to disperse on its own and I need to use it and that can either be channeled into a good way with you know doing physical labor and mucking out the fastest I've ever done or I can hold on to it as nervous energy so I do that and then I rinse the horse and then with my kit I have everything packed in the same bags, in the same place, every single time. So again, I know when I go to get it, it's there. And that again helps me because I've been at the competitions in the past where I've not been organized and I'm really stressed and I'm like shaking with nerves and I can't find my girth. And then you're like, oh my God, that's it. I've ruined it, we're screwed. I've knackered it before I've even got on the horse. And that anxiety builds. And then you get on the horse like that. And the horse is a bit like, oh, we're at a new place and there's some new friends. And, you know, it's a little bit exciting. And then you get on and you're like, oh. And then the horse is like, oh, we're stressed, we're scared. And then you're like, oh, they're going to buck me off. Um, and it it's amazing how quickly things can escalate with a horse involved. <laughs> um, and again, we sort of tend to go, oh, it's the horse. They always get stressed at competitions. But then you sort of say, do they? Or is that you? So for me, when I have everything packed neatly and organised in beautiful luggage, and this is the other thing as well, if you just throw everything in the back of your car and you rock up and you're like, oh, digging it out, digging it out, digging it out, you are behaving like you're not a proper competitor and again if you arrive and it's all organized and you've got your beautiful luggage and you're taking your jacket out of your nice bag you're behaving like I'm in this I'm here I'm a proper competitor I've got nice kit I look after my kit because my kit looks after me and you're getting in that mindset of someone who is a professional rather than Oh, and you know, we all do. Oh, I'm just that unorganized person, and I skid up to the ring with two minutes to go. And you know, we do all right, perfect. But what if you didn't do that? What if you arrived with a good warm up, plenty of time, feeling good? And this is the other thing with stuff as well when you wear nice kit, 
you feel good. When you have nice stuff, you feel good. You feel good about yourself. And this again, people do it all the time. They'll see something they want and then they try and buy the cheaper version. And I think, don't do that. Save up because you will always know you settled for the cheaper version and it wasn't quite what you wanted. And then you'll always feel a little bit like you're not good enough because you settled for less. And for me, I like to have nice kit. I like my kit nice. I like it looking nice. Not because what anyone else will think of me, but because when I put on my show jacket that fits nicely and looks good, I feel good. And I get on the horse thinking, I've got this. I look nice. I've got the gear. Everything's neat and tidy. It was all, and it's like, people say like, oh, it's one of those days I woke up late. I banged my toe on the bed. I fell down the stairs. I missed the button. It, you know, spirals. Whereas I like it, I got up, I got there on time, I arrived on time, I had my coffee, I got out my kit. And, you know, it's nice. You get your nice luggage out and you're unzipping it and you're getting your nice kit out and you're feeling good and you feel in control. And you get on with that level of confidence and calmness that you're in control, you've got this, you're looking good. You know, and it's the same if you're going on night out and you've had your hair done and that, you stride into the pub to meet your friends and you're like, look at me. It's just like that. You want to get on with that level of feeling capable rather than like you you shouldn't be there because you're not good enough. That's awesome. So that's brought up two things for me, which are really key from that. One is that um, if you can get as much sorted the night before, brilliant. That really helps as well. Everything's packed. Yeah. Everything has its place. The other thing is I am super organized and I even if I've got a groom coming with me that's never groomed me before, I tell them where things go and how I want it um, as well. Because what that does is um, so we we have uh, when it comes to habits, there are things that trigger habits. So there is something that makes you do something else. So every action has an action related to it. So, for instance, having your stuff always go in the same place means that that then triggers that next action. So I'm exactly the same as you. Go to the yard, hitch up my trailer. Yeah. Because that is the part that could go wrong. Yeah. Could be difficult. Sometimes I can't get my lock off as well as I want it to, but that's the part that has to be done. It's really important. It's it's the safety element. If my plats don't then look quite as good, that's one of those things I'm gonna have to deal with, but my horse has to be safe. So that's safety, number one, done. But in hitching up the trailer, like you say, and then undoing everything, doing stuff, that then makes you go, right, hey, net, because I can see it's not there, or it maybe is because I've done it the night before. So then that's done, tick. Then when I've got a tack trolley that I always use, so I try and load that up the night before, and everything has its place as to where it goes in the tack trolley. If it's not there, I know it's not there instantly. It's obvious. So that triggers another action, you know, and it's things like I did once turn up to a lesson without a girth. Luckily, someone was able to keep me that girth. But it's because at that point, I didn't have my little, yeah. my thing. And, yeah. and the great thing about having checklists and organisation, like you say, and actually everything having its place is, you know, instantly if it's not there. Yes. But when you're packing the night before or whatever you, you go, my girth's not where it should be. While yeah. I've got time now, I can sort it out. Yeah. Rather than in the morning, chucking everything in. Yeah. And then get into the show and going, I haven't got a girth. And, and of course, then the adrenaline comes up. We don't yeah. want the adrenaline up. Yeah. You don't perform. So like you say. It's... And you have that thing as well. I used to hate the journey to the show because I'd drive and in my head, I'd be going, did I put my bridle in? Yes. Did I put my sat? Yeah. Did Oh, hang on a minute. Have I got my hat? Have I... And if someone was in, mate, jump in the back quick. And they're like, and you, you'd, yeah, your hat's here. Like, oh, it's all right then. Are my gloves in my jacket pocket? Oh my God. 
And if you're at a show that's got trade stands, it's fine because you think, I'll just run around and buy loads of stuff. It's fine. Um, yeah, but again, that's like a waste of money then, isn't it? And that's how you end up with four of something. <laughs> and time, because yeah. then you're running around trying to buy something. And again, they don't always have what you want. So you have to settle. And then you've got in your head, I've got the wrong kit. I've got the wrong kit. So that, again, is why um, on the website there's all the packing lists. So you can tick it off as you pack it. And you know, so you can, when you're driving to the show, which what I do now, I go through my dressage test. And that helps me again, because then I arrive and I know that I know the test. And again, everything runs smoothly because it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. And when you get in that routine of that, because it's running smoothly, you then start to get, it's my day today. I've got this. Everything's gone right everything's gone right it's perfect and that gives you that level of confidence as well which yeah. you do need because especially like when we compete on horses we're literally paying someone to tell us how bad we are <laughs> yep yeah we really are we are being judged by the pure element and, of it yeah yeah and it's crazy so the more stuff you can do to get you down that center line feeling good that will reflect you go in with a big smile you're confident the horse is relaxed and you just feel like, yeah, we've got this rather than, you know, you screech up to the warm up arena at the last minute, screaming at your friends, to take your over each boots off. And the other reason as well, I like everything in a certain place is for me. And this again stems back to when I broke my back and I was in the hospital, someone had to go and get my clothes for me. And because I had everything neat and tidy and organized, I could very clearly say to her, this is hanging here. You know, my underwear is in this drawer. This is where my shampoo and stuff is. And she could go in and out and get it. And, you know, they weren't having to go through all this mess and clutter and being like, oh, my God, how do you live? Um, and again, I find that with the horse, because, again, I had times where I'd get stuck at work late when I was in the army and I'd have to ring a friend and say, I can't get there today. Can you just do him for me? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. And I could say, this is here. This is here. This is here. And again, I'd have the sheets up in the tack room. So again, I could just text someone and they say, yeah, it's fine. I wouldn't even have to tell them what he needed to eat or that because it was all there. And they could just walk in the tack room and go, right, boom, 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 yeah, boom, that's exactly done. It. And, and like you say. Make life less stressful for me. It really does, yeah. And, and you know, I've either had a new groom, someone who hasn't groomed for me before, or I've yeah. been at a show and I have genuinely forgotten something because it happened. And I've had to say to, you know, like my friend's husband or something, can you go and grab my spurs or something? And I've gone, they're in here, in there, in there. Yeah. They don't even have to know what these things look like. No, they just exactly. get told they're in a little black bag in my yeah. hat box, which is on the yeah. side in the front of the trailer or whatever it is. Yeah. It's really useful. And, and, you know, when you've got a new groom, you can, I always used to say some right, this stuff goes here and this stuff goes here. And they're like, oh, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah. no, because <laughs> apart from anything else at the beginning of the day, it's really important. But then also at the end of the day, I make sure as much as possible that things go back where they were or I have a little holding place for them until the next yep. day when I can sort them out yeah so that yep. then when you when you're ready for the next time it's all ready to go again and it's something that you don't want to do at the end of the day or what have you but when it's that simple that that thing goes there you either yeah. do it that night or you don't you just chuck it yep. for that night fine but then the next day that thing goes there done yeah. And the other thing, like you say, I mean, if you're on DIY and things, you need to be able to tell someone quickly where stuff is. I'm on full livery. And actually, in some ways, it's equally as important, because if I say to them, actually, he needs these boots on. Yeah. If I just went there in the tack room, 
But if I say they're the brown ones in the bottom drawer of the boot box, which is underneath my saddles, yeah. okay, it's not quite labelled at this point, but I think that's enough. You know, they go, oh, yeah, and out come the right boots to go yeah. on. So, yeah. you know, whether you're DIY, park, for whatever it is that you are, just being able to delegate something that quickly and easily just takes yeah. the stress away, doesn't it? Because apart and from anything else, you haven't got to think, where actually where is that thing yeah I don't know I'm gonna to have to come up and find it myself and yeah. take that time out of my day and it's the same as well if someone asks to borrow something yes you can just tell them exactly where it is and they're not having to sort of root through your stuff and move all your kit about and stuff like that and it's the same as again um with with things like I always find it's one of those situations that sometimes people think you don't need that because you know it's fine but then when it goes wrong that's when it's really highlighted because for example, you need your vet kit in an emergency. So mine is in a red bag. It's the only red bag I have. I can shout at anyone, grab the red bag. Boom, done. And again, my vet kit, I check it regularly. It's all up to date. I know everything in there is sterile, in date, perfect to use. Again, I've got my sheet printed out so I can say to someone, ring the vet. And they can go into the tack room, see my vet's number, ring up, all the details are on there. Again, if I'm not there, there's the list of when the horse was last vaccinated and everything. So the vet can come out and they can say, this is when, you know, here's the list of its last jabs. So the vet will know, okay, they're up to date on that or things like that. And it it's just makes stressful situations so much less stressful because when things go wrong, suddenly your little bubble of control explodes. And that is what sends us into panic. And that's what makes us... And that's when your brain starts going, oh, my God, their leg's going to fall off and the world's going to end and the sun is going to fall out. The sky. And all these things that like your rational brain is like, that's not going to happen. That other part of your brain suddenly takes full control and you become like this crazed nutter. Because when things we love get hurt and you feel helpless, that is the worst feeling in the world. And it, it does, you know, it's your horse, your dog, your children, your family, your friends. All you want to do is make them better. And when you can't, you feel so awful and helpless. So all the little things you can do, like you can then look back on that and go, I was all over that situation. And you feel good rather than like being like, oh my God, I couldn't find my vet kit. And then this person had to help. And that's the other thing you then get, everyone else's opinion because horse people love an opinion <laughs> and everyone does it differently it doesn't matter what you're doing putting on a rug there's three thousand different ways to do it and people will always go you shouldn't have done that should have done it this way this is wrong does it matter it's on they're fine no one cares but then you get all of that so then suddenly this stressful situation you've got this opinion that opinion and then the vet comes and then people go wouldn't you use that bet? And then you get even more like, ah, whereas if you can be confident and in control and it's smooth, you feel confident about your decisions. So you're not then going home and thinking, did I do that wrong? Should I have done this? Have I, you know, injured my horse worse because I hadn't done that? You know, it's just, and it's all these little things that I, I sort of say to people, we have a hard enough time as it is, you know, it, it's hard it's a struggle and then you get the livery bill each month <laughs> so you need to make it easy where you can and again for me imagine if you walked in your tack room and your stuff was there and you got it and you tack your horse up in 10 minutes 
how much extra time have you now got to enjoy your horse rather than spending 25 minutes trying to get all your kit together and the other thing I would say to people as well is because again some people are like oh it's fine just throw it in it doesn't matter it's all right I'm like how much did you pay for your saddle why do you not want to protect that why why are you like it's fine without a cover on it it's fine like what if your tack room roof develops a leak overnight and it drips on your saddle that's your saddle ruined whereas if you'd put a waterproof cover on it it's fine and i never understand and and some people do this they will spend so much money like numbers they'll buy some of them numbers are 70 80 quid and people will have 15 or 20 of them and then they don't want to spend the money on a bag that will protect them and i'm like but if you're going to get 10 numbers in the bag that's 800 pounds worth of numna and you don't want to spend 26 pounds to protect it like really I love this. and when when we moved yards and i realized how just dusty all of my stuff had got and actually it was in a cupboard so it wasn't actually that bad it wasn't a, yeah. a, one of the big garden cupboards that we put shells in and things but still yeah. it was very dusty and it was uh, and at one point a mouse had gotten in and it had eaten one of my flipping really expensive um woolen show numbers that's the worst oh it was gutting <laughs> anyway so when I was looking into storage solutions for this new tack room and I did look at things like laundry bags and stuff like that you know because they're an option and they're like a pound a piece. Yes. I I remembered how fed up I was at the fact that every time you went to pick one up it would break um or the mice would still chew through or you know all of these things or and it, and actually they're a pain because of the way they answer and so I started looking to solutions and, and I looked at your new ones and went oh gosh these are better you know I didn't realize you'd done the 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 new sort of um woven ones and things and then when I looked at their machine washable they hold a load of them they flip in a certain way so that you can easily I mean people love it I unzip mine on the shelf flip the lid up see all the spines of the the things and yeah. know exactly which one it is I want if I want to pull the whole thing off a can it's got a handle sliding out beautiful all stack lovely literally people were going oh that's lovely it's really nice isn't it but isn't it expensive and I went not if it lasts me 20 years it's not <laughs> you know I and I I'm totally with you but looking at the time we must wrap up which and I just want to recap by saying people might think this is about numna bags <laughs> and you know um ticklish sheets but it's not because it's so much more than that isn't it it really yeah. does affect how you feel the quality of the time you've got you know how clear your mind is your even your performance competition so if you're thinking you feel a bit fried at the moment you've been a bit frazzled everything's chaotic take a photo of it look at that picture and think does that make me feel calm and if the answer's yeah. no then get in touch with you <laughs> <Yeah>. we can help <laughs> cool so how do people get a hold of you cassie if they want to then uh, so they can either email us. The email address is tidytackrooms@outlook.com. You can go onto the website. If you just type tidy tack rooms into Google, um, that'll come up. There's a contact form on the website. You can message us on Facebook or you can DM us on Instagram. And again, we're more than happy if people want to send us photos of their tack room and ask what we recommend. We will happily do that for you as well. <laughs> what a lovely job I have to say that it must be very satisfying it is yes I love it when people um send us the pictures of the tack room the befores and afters and then they tell us the difference it's made um that you know and they say to us like it's so good you know this year my rugs were sorted and it was so easy that really is 
job satisfaction for us knowing that actually we've made a difference to someone's life um, do you know the, the funny thing is as well is I've got all my rugs now sorted out the next thing is my winter rugs that are in my garage at the moment will then go into winter rug bags with winter yep. written on them and although that used to be that was my maiden name winter um so they're definitely going to know they're mine but you know they are the winter rugs and uh and I said to my husband yeah so I'm gonna now sort my winter ones out get them all clean put away and everything that's fine and then that will free up some room in the garage and he looked at me like I just told him I don't know that he's won a million pounds or something like you know it makes you the hard really happy as well doesn't it because they're like oh all this stuff you've got everywhere you know so it's great so yeah. it even helps happy relationships there we go who'd have thought a 30 yes. quid rug bag would do something and you, you can hide the amount of stuff you have bought as well so again people need never know <laughs> they don't That's need brilliant. to know if you've got a new collection just pop it in the bag and keep quiet and then when you use it you can just say i've had it ages <laughs> There you go. Love it. Thank you so much, Cassie. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and I am doing a live Q&A with you on Monday, the 6th of July, aren't I, at 7pm? Yes, Monday, over, yeah. over on your Instagram, isn't it? Yes, all about um, mindset and helping people with competition nerves because with our Return to Competition series, that's one of the things a lot of people are struggling with, especially having had that long gap since going to a competition. Um they're, they're getting quite nervous. So there's a lot of very excited people uh, looking forward to asking you lots of questions. <laughs> I look forward to helping people out with some hints and tips. So thank you so, so much, Cassie. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and hopefully loads of people are going to be in touch soon about tidying up their lives yeah. and minds. <laughs> <laughs> tidy mind, tidy life. That's what they say, isn't it? And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone.